0: My name is Nigel fellows Freeman. I am the founder and CEO of Canopy. We're an embedded insurance as a service platform that kind of helps insurers deliver insurance to customers where and when they need it seamlessly through embedded platforms. I really want to thank you for joining us today for episode three of Building Tomorrow's Insurance. And today we are speaking to Anita Lane. She's the co-founder of Solution Underwriting. Uh, she has an unbelievable background, um, spanning I think two, even maybe three decades. Um, she's helped establish Solution uh, Underwriting, which is a, a company focused very much on cultivating a long-term relationship with their broking partners. Uh, she had a history from from Lloyd's of London, full of anecdotes and stories from from her time there. And she's really focused on kind of pushing the insurance forward, pushing the sector forward and with a real focus on people and I'm so really excited about the conversation Anita welcome wonderful to have you here today I thought a really nice place to start would be obviously you've been in this a while uh you um you've got a fantastic reputation, so I'd just love to understand kind of maybe your passion behind it obviously there's um there's there's always a, a kernel of passion that sits behind uh like the the drive that you have. So I'm really interested to hear a bit about your story, the passion that sits behind it, and maybe what uh, what, what drove you to create Solution Underwriting.
1: Yeah, great. Well, yeah, 30 years in the industry is a long time. I've only ever worked in the insurance market Mm -hmm. and absolutely no regrets. I worked out very early on in the piece when I was young that um, the dynamic element of the insurance sector was really where I wanted to be and I just Mm. grabbed it with both hands and ran with it and just tried to learn as much as I could about the industry and certainly my time in Lloyds of London was uh, how cemented all that and working in a truly international marketplace was just incredible. But if you think about the world and what we do from, you know, the house we live in to the, the car that we drive to the offices that we sit into the holidays that we go to with our families, every element of life has an insurance and a risk component to it. And just imagine a world without it, right? We are so comforted by the fact that if something does go wrong, that there is some insurance policy, there is someone that that's been held liable, and there is some level of compensation along the way. And I just think in Australia we just know that at the back of our mind, but uh, very few people stop to realise the industry that sits behind all that, that it. T- touches every single element of what we do on a day-to-day basis and so just being part of that has just been exciting for me and just the dynamics of the market that it is here in Australia we have a very small and captured market but we do then still trade in a truly global um, market as well Mm. Um, and it's just been yeah 30 years of my life Um, the people that I've met the opportunities that I've had the places I've traveled the businesses that we've been able to get involved in has just been the passion that has driven uh for for me to continue all these years
0: absolutely love it and um going back to that kind of founding kind of time in lords of london like what was it like kind of starting out there like in terms of was it kind of bright lights and kind of how yeah how did it all uh, because that's obviously the, the heartland isn't it so i'd love to hear your story of it It was
1: amazing. It was 1997 and the market was just thriving and Lloyd's was just at its peak. It was the most exciting time of my life. Mm. I actually worked in Lloyd's as um, what they called a box girl at that time, which uh, wouldn't exist now. And it was just even a crazy term. But I guess you know, we sat at the box and I was a girl and it was kind of fitting and I really wanted, even though I'd had some experience here in Australia as um, a specialist broker, I really wanted to deep uh, dive into the Lloyd's market. So even mm-hmm. starting off as a box girl was actually my goal. I didn't think I was going to go there and change the world on day one. I was very young. Um, so getting a job um, at a syndicate where I was actually assisting and I sat next to an underwriter all day, every day as his box girl was like, I thought I'd made it. Like it was just a wonderful time to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know just seeing the, the dynamics of the market, just watching how people transacted and it really Really felt like a marketplace, you know. And if we were selling, if I use that analogy, and we were selling apples, and our apples today were red apples, and we were selling the shiniest red apples that we could. But then the syndicate, not that far from us, was actually selling green apples, and so they had a diversity of green apples. And so if you were a broker, you know, depending on your client and you and what you needed, you were either going to go and shop at the green market apples or the red apples. Um, and I just loved it. We were allowed to really really um, get to know the brokers and their portfolios. I always say that I, I, my biggest skill that I learned was pretty much knowing how to read a room and mm-hmm. just to see how people were. And I could see uh, sometimes brokers' faces and, and how big they, their portfolios were um, under their um, arm as they used to carry their um, uh, slips around, it was either going to be a good good next 10 minutes or it's going to be horrible and you could see the level of distress on brokers' faces mm-hmm. um, and my underwriter was very experienced. He had an incredible intellect. Um, he was able to quote one of my jobs as a box girl, funny enough, was every Monday morning out of the times I would have to cut out. Um, the exchange rate for uh, the global exchange rate. He had a photographic memory. He would look at it for a couple of minutes. And for that particular week, he would quote in, like, in local currency every slip that came to him. So if it was a piece of business from South Africa, it was in the Rand, it was just all over. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, this is just an incredible experience and opportunity. And we don't see that anymore for someone that could actually scratch something, put a premium down in that local currency for the broker was uh, even in that time was incredible so yeah loved my time in London
0: yeah like you say some really um I think kind of when you always when you look back on um early parts of your career right you kind of there, there's these there's these moments that are real like teaching moments I think real learning moments that really kind of impact you as you progress through your career and it sounds like you have some some really big ones of those in, in that time of your life and was there was there kind of uh, how did that kind of set the scene for you to, to create su- solution underwriting was there was there kernels there that really started that journey kind like, did that progress over time like how did um how did you how did you grow the business how did you build how, what was the idea behind the business
1: well um I was like I was very young when I went to London and very mm. inexperienced. And I think just the exposure to, to working in that marketplace, people talk yeah. about confidence and knowing what you know, that came it, that comes organically. You don't just wake up and all of a sudden know everything that you know, that you've got to build on that. And I think that the six years I did spend working in the Lloyd's Market are really taught me, um, I honed in on different skills. It wasn't just the technical side of things because we were filled with a room of people who knew what the technical side was. It was about understanding business and about understanding the dynamics and it's about providing a service. And I could even see very physically at the time in London where in Lloyd's, if if there was a box that was shut for that morning or that afternoon, brokers would actually have to go to another syndicate to be able to get some terms or a line down. And I think that idea of understanding brokers' needs and servicing um, element to it is what then led to what we at Solution Underwriting with Reese Mills and I created this different service offering to brokers. Understanding that the dynamics of their world is very important, and if we are a market that's very responsive to what they need, um, sometimes you don't have to be the you know, the cheapest in the market or anything. It's just about being responsive. And my time in London really showed me that that you know when you are working with the whole world and and the world is your oyster, that brokers can decide very quickly if they're not being serviced well enough, they can go to different markets. And that's kind of led to the foundation of Solution. We knew that we had to provide a different service offering, particularly to the SME market, and and that's how we we saw that vision and that's what we ran with at the beginning.
0: Yeah, I love it. And was there – you spoke a little bit, um, and I've obviously done a – so moving around and you've spoken very, very articulately and passionately over time of kind of, um, kind of gender and being a female, um, in the industry is a, is a tough job. And the kind of the, just the, the cold heart reality is that the, um, I don't know what the percentages are, but they definitely, uh, uh, very, very skewed in one direction. And so how did you, how have you found that through your career? And was there, um, I guess kind of, you like growing in experience through the career and now as a, I guess now as a really like aspirational leader within the the industry and I'm really interested in like that journey for you as a, as a female industry and now kind of being, uh, yeah. So, so suppose somebody that people aspire to, how you kind of feel about that and how you kind of lean into it.
1: Yeah. Good question. And things are certainly better now. When I first started, uh, there were less uh, females. I would very often go to a meeting and would be the only um, female in a room, at a lunch, at a function, at a conference. So now when I look around, and I do like to see the difference and the impact that over the years have come and how we've come a long way in the industry, you do see a lot more female representation, which I obviously really love. Um, I guess for me, I've tried to keep away from the fact that I am a female in the industry. I've always tried to to see myself as just a person in insurance and just try to get on with it and tried to be the best that I could knowing. And my gender was almost a second thing. Um, and, you know, and I've got lots of stories that I could share. But the reality is I think I was able just to make sure that I was always prepared at my meetings, that I always knew that my, what my seat at the table was for and what was about. I tried to, to people just, just look at me not as a female, but just as another person and an insurance professional um, and have a presence in, in that regard so even just mindset for me I, I've always just tried to keep it as neutral as it can I just happen to be a female yep. there have been challenges over the years of course but I think you can say that about a lot of um, male-dominated industries I think in general we are very um, tolerant and we do see uh, the the value that I think the gender um, balance actually provides to any organization but mm. it certainly has changed over the years uh, in the market which is very positive and great
0: yeah I totally agree was there anybody um that you looked to like in was in that, was there any kind of um any people maybe even not specifically within the insurance industry but any kind of females you looked to when you were kind of growing up through your career that you kind of aspired to or is it kind of was it just very much kind of self like kind of you didn't really think about that at all
1: no, well, I kind of didn't have anyone to be honest. So yeah, yeah that was probably more reflective of 30 mm. years ago. Mm. And there's always been sort of, um, I've probably learned more how not to do things. I yep. do think sometimes women tend to probably go the more um, masculine route and they would actually think that they had to be one of the boys to be able to fit in. That certainly wasn't my uh, choice and it wasn't my journey. I still felt that you could, I could still be my authentic self within the space of it um some girls sometimes can be a bit too girly in some in some situations and so there is that sort of fine balance in that and a lot of it is just maturity and just being present and just um, experiencing everything that you can putting your hand up for as many things as you can do leaning in as much as you can and getting that exposure and that experience and eventually people don't even realize you're a girl you just happen to whatever you can put on the table and contribute, that's your value. And that's always been my goal and emphasis across the board.
0: Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. And you had a, um, I saw that you had a, you wrote a wonderful piece and I'm not sure if you've updated it recently. I think maybe you have called the balancing act. And, um, I read it and I thought it was wonderful. And it's, uh, it, it, um, I was thinking about it in the car on the way afterwards and it's, uh, yeah, just some way I hadn't really thought about, um, thought about life before I suppose and all the kind of the juggle of it and so I'd love you to I'd love to yeah kind of for you to talk a little bit and explain it to those folks who are listening so I'm sure that a lot of people get value out of it.
1: Yeah thank you it's something that I came across uh, a few years ago and it's not my model or theory but it's something that I apply uh, daily and I share with my team here and I and I sort of remind people on a regular basis and it's the idea that you know you know I get asked a lot of times, can women have it all kind of thing? And and the answer is that um, it's kind of yes and no. We can have it all, but the reality is that you can't have it all at the same time, because there is it is that uh, balancing act. But it's not just women either; it is obviously men. And the idea of the four burners is that you divide your life into four different um, areas: one being work, health, family, and friends. Mm-hmm. And if you, it's almost this uh, thing if you visualise in your head that you can't have all four burners going red hot all the time because it just life just doesn't work that way and you'll end up sort of burning out so the trick is to find just look at your burners at any given day and for me in my life it's when my children were smaller these burners were sort of you know flickering at different heights and levels uh, it could change throughout the day Mm. so sometimes when my children were little obviously my family um, burner was higher than potentially um, my work or my health burner was actually going well my friends were a little bit um, you know um, ignored for a little bit Mm. and the idea is that depending on what's where what stage of your life is you are allowed to you should be able to moderate those burners as you need to to be able to give what your what you need to give your attention to Mm. so some there are times in my life where my career has been full strength and it's as up and as hot as it can be because that's my focus on at that time and you know horrible to say that potentially my health is you know I probably didn't go to the gym this week because I've been at conference or I've been doing different um, elements as well so it's that ability for you for, but the essence is that you decide which of the burners you need to um, turn up and which you're actually allowed to turn down depending on what you are going through on that day that week that month month that allows you to focus your energy where you need to so that you don't entirely burn out is the idea
0: absolutely love it and it's um yes yeah, like you know like you saying, definitely not gender specific that i said well i read it and um yeah uh, i've thought about it over time it's been uh yeah it's been really interesting to think about that kind of, <laughs> it's just a mental model isn't it that's what i kind yeah. of away like a really nice mental model to um give yourself almost give yourself a bit of a break yes uh, in terms of uh uh, yeah, you don't have to be kind of a hundred percent on all all, all, um, all senders at the same time. Exactly right. You are uh, changing tack a little bit. You have obviously kind of had relationships with brokers for a very long time. You've seen um, different kind of fads. You've seen different things come and go and change. Um, but I'm really interested. Obviously, there's a there's a bunch of talk all of the time about the role of the broker and how they're evolving and um, I'm sure that you'll have a point of view um, and just really interested to hear it, of your your point of view of your, the role of the broker evolving into the future.
1: Yeah, very topical. I, I think that um, brokers need to move away from just that transactional type of of uh, relationship that they have and I and I know that there is a place for that particularly in the personal space market but it's about brokers just really understanding the value that they give their their knowledge of the market their risk management tools to actually provide that value add to the client where I always look at businesses and you know if a business uh, they need to have their insurance brokers as one of their stakeholders so if they're going to change tact in any part of their business they normally contact their lawyer or their their accountant I actually want to see their insurance broker as part of that mix as well so that their, their broker can actually help them guide them in terms of their risk management and how to prevent claims and how to run a good, efficient uh, business from there as well. So my my thing for brokers is always just show where your value is, right? Be as knowledgeable as you can. Understand the data and the analytic analytics that's out there at the moment that is really helping brokers understand a little bit more of what's happening um, because of market the the world is changing very quickly you know everything that we used to talk about events that only happen in one in 100 years that that is now changing it's happening a lot quicker and we need to be a lot more responsive to just how even the world is changing um at the moment
0: are you finding uh are you finding that uh obviously we're seeing a bunch of insurers start to go more and more direct Mm-hmm. Um, and, and obviously that impacts the broker who have been there, I guess, the primary channel for a very long time. Yeah. Do you see that? Do you see that kind of, how do you see that kind of insurer broker relationship evolving? You, can you see that changing or, um, can you see that, um, yeah, the risks there and kind of how brokers, I think you, you, you talked about a bunch, which you're kind of servicing and that feels like the key element. That feels like the really important part of that relationship. But and I'm interested in your thought on, on that dynamic.
1: Yeah. I mean, 20 years ago when I would meet with brokers and I'd say, what is your biggest? challenge and and who's your competitors they would say the guy down the street right the brokerage that someone could go and and walk in through those doors and get um, buy a few policies through there but these days I think the more that I hear from brokers is that the direct uh, market and these insurers who want to play in both fields they want to go the intermediary way and support brokers and they'll you know go out to uh, see brokers and they'll go to all the conferences and they say we're here to support you but at the same time they're making a play for the direct market, which can be very confusing to consumers when people are trying to buy a product online and they can see that it's through a general insurer that they've heard before, but then their insurance broker is also telling them that they go into the same markets to be able to get products from Mm. there. So I do think that there is a little bit of conflict and a little bit of confusion if you are just a a consumer or a small business and you're trying to place your insurance. I think um, consumers are a lot more savvy these days. I think online aggregators have made uh, buying uh, insurance a lot more um, uh People feel like they can do it themselves now um, and they're a lot more educated in what their decisions they're going to make. So the brokers have kind of have to up the ante with that. They've got to add the value. They've got to be their consultants. They've got to give them advice. They've got to go to the market and really see what's out there. Again, moving it away from price, but coverage and just uh, making sure that their businesses have ticked every box when it comes to their exposures.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think... um Obviously, technology is a part of that, isn't it? Like, I guess the technology is this kind of enabling element that yeah. is enabling some of these kind of um these insurers. Is, is, is technology affected your business at all? Like, have you used it like in a positive way? Like, have you kind of how do you guys think about technology within? in solution underwriting?
1: Yeah, well, we're still 100% an intermediary market, so mm-hmm. we don't have any direct placements, but we've used technology to streamline our processes just mm-hmm. to be quicker and smarter and more efficient. Yep. Uh, we we are in the SME space predominantly, so the turnaround and uh, has been a lot quicker, the consistency in our underwriting is a lot quicker uh, and more consistent because we use the technology. So my idea is that if you ask a solution underwriting in our Melbourne office uh, a question. It should be the same question and same answer as if they were asking someone in our Sydney office. And technology has been uh, allow, allowed us to do that. I mean, industry 4.0 is here, right? And I just think that uh, the insurance market is a little bit like, uh, I don't know whether we can keep up things with like robotics and artificial intelligence. 3D printing, you know, biotech, driverless vehicles, for God's sakes, you know, mm. who's at fault? Mm. I think the challenge for insurers in terms of technology in the future will be how do we assess risk? How do we calculate a premium? And how do we pay claims on things that we've never had to do in the past? And and I think that is really the challenge.
0: Yeah, and I think the I think it doesn't always it doesn't just sit with insurers. I think regulators are going to be really interesting, right, in terms of obviously they've historically been I' conservative as they should be um and but there's gonna there's this really kind of changing risk landscape really needs like- like the top macro of regulatory to like but then feed down and everyone know to what the what the i suppose what the the pitch everyone's playing on is yeah um and so I think as well as the insurers and the under i think the entire the value chain has to has to try and adapt, but i think it, there's also a real need. Um, for the for the regulatory bodies to and i think they are getting there i think it will be kind of slow and i think they'll be i think that would be or do you talk about kind of um kind of driverless vehicles i think that's a a prime example where the technology is going to be so far in front of regulation and actually won't be able to do a bunch of the tech because the regulation is not there yet yes. and that kind of like liability question is a really really great one and so i think the uh, however the industry really kind of um comes together i think it's going to be very important Um, for regulators and aggregators and insurers and underwriters and kind of the new tech players and the data players all to kind of come to the table to understand it because... It's um, it's in everyone's best interest, I think.
1: Yeah. And we traditionally have always worked retrospectively, right, and we look Mm. at past trends and stuff to work out what we're going to do in the future. I think we're at that stage now where we've got to start looking at the future more than the past to be able Mm. to dictate where it's going to go and how we learn how to underwrite these new risks and really understand the risk exposure and how do we calculate it and how do we, like I said, put a premium to it. I mean, it's almost a little bit like, yeah, we're going to have to just find our way through it because we won't be able to rely on historical data to be able to guide us through it. Yeah,
0: yeah. I was actually watching, saw a demo a few couple of weeks ago um, of a uh, oh, I could say that a geosite was, so was, so was a data provider, and they had this unbelievable map which brought in a bunch of different data sets, and they could see like pre the kind of. Um, uh, pre the, uh, the floods in Sydney and then look at the buildings post the flood. They could see what the risk was. Like it, the the granularity of them being able to pay the claim or then price the risk before the claim happened yeah. like, and the condition of roofs. It was unbelievable, though, the granularity of the data. And so I think you're right in terms of, uh, uh, that, that data really kind of being able to be predictive and, and help write the risk better in terms of forward looking rather than. in the rear rear view mirror. I think that's a really good insight. Yep. Um, In terms of, uh, on that same theme, I suppose, around delivery of insurance, in terms of delivery of the product to the end customer, um, those kind of needs are changing a little bit. And I think there's, we've spoken a little bit about kind of insurers going direct. Do you see um, any other kind of changes over time that that you're seeing in terms of how, Uh, the insured themselves are going to access products. Have you kind of got a a sense of, of how you think the world might move that way?
1: Um, I think in the commercial corporate space, um, uh, I think it will stay relatively yeah. the same. Um, yeah. I, I think that the, the dynamic of how it works, of, of a broker, or an insurance professional understanding risk and then going to market for the client, yeah. it's fundamentally where things will stay at. Yeah. I think where we'll, we'll learn to be smarter in how we communicate and how much uh, information we use to make those decisions will is what's going to change. But the dynamics or the process of analysis. Analys- Risk, understanding what the client actually needs, going to market. Fundamentally, will stay the same because Mm. it it does actually work, um, but we're just going to get smarter about how the the flow of information is going to work and how better we are at interpreting that to make more sound underwriting decisions on pricing, claims, and and the whole range of things. So, that's my view that uh, Mm. if we keep to those basics, um, it still does work. It's just that we just need to be better at communicating and transferring that information.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting, isn't it? Because that, that that exact thing you just called out, which is that that core fundamental of insurance, is almost the same now as it was mm. when ships went out, right? Like in terms exactly. of you go into a place, like you, a, a, a captain pitches to someone to take a ship out or, uh, do you know what I mean? And that, and that kind of, who's going to back it? All of those pieces that came together yep. really... They're analog now and more digital now, but the fundamentals of that haven't really changed, which is there's a risk and there's a bunch of people that need to write it. And there's a bunch of understanding and all all those pieces are are the same. It's just really evolved in terms of kind of how it's approached.
1: Yeah. And I think we've seen a bit of change in that. Like uh, we saw sort of big insurers taking big lines on on policies and and I'm in the financial um, and the PI sector. So we saw a shift when capacity was restricted and it became like the old days where it was more of a subscription market where people were playing on different layers. I still think that there's a lot of value in that and we haven't seen markets come back in and start taking ground up sort of 20 million lines anymore. It is still that old school like you say back um of the old lloyd's days where it was that subscription market mm-hmm. the fundamentals of understanding that you've got to share the risk um, and the premium as well so that's just how it works and we kind of saw that a little bit in the last few years when restrict when capital and um was actually restricted and mm-hmm. capacity was restricted so i like working in that market i think mm-hmm. it's great to be able to layer up some policies and and share that risk and get support from underwriters where you know they they shouldn't they shouldn't be taking on the, all the exposure um and 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 working that way
0: yeah interesting yeah have you seen any different because uh, i this one i'm not too close to uh, in terms of the capital markets are you seeing any any change in the capital markets new kind of um yeah you're seeing any kind of in capacity in capital markets changing at all or still yeah,
1: not for a while everything's that's why i
0: asked the question yeah, yeah.
1: it's kind of watch this space uh yeah. we haven't seen much Activity. And again, just mm. in, in my space and the and yeah. the market we operate with, it will yeah. happen and we've got to be ready for it because it will change everything, right? I have a team full of um, underwriters at I have at Solution that haven't actually worked in a softer market that it has been in professional indemnity lines, has been a relatively hard, a hard-ish market. Mm. If we shift back, if more capacity comes in, the market will soften. I've got a we've got the challenge of training all our underwriters how to operate in the softer market. Market, which mm. is a whole different skill set altogether.
0: <laughs> sure is. And that's very really nice kind of um segue in terms of uh solution underwriting into the future. With well, yep. um obviously you kind of grown the business to where it is now. I'd love to understand kind of yeah, what are you where, what direction are you taking the business in? Like how do you kind of see the business evolving and growing over time? Um,
1: I guess we're heading towards what I call sort of braver workplace culture is, is, mm-hmm. is a big thing. You know, we hear a lot about, you know, the war of talent and the great resignation and, and people moving around. We, um, we have a, a staff retention rate of 97% at Solution, which we're very proud of, yeah. and it doesn't just happen, right? And, and the key pillars to that is that we like to keep our, um, our staff engaged challenged learning and developing every single day and and just learning their craft of underwriting um, right through. We're very big at promoting people within the business as well. We like to see where people's strengths are. We just want to create an environment where people can feel safe and valued to be able to be their best self, even in in underwriting land that actually exists if they're allowed to develop and to learn the craft of underwriting um, all the way through the process and be in what they do, that is our value proposition at Solution. Mm. Um, is what I look to, it's what we're looking at. The rest of it will just happen, right? I think if you have the right people in the right jobs and they're engaged and they're challenged and they know what they're doing and we provide a really strong service offering, the business will just follow. And we've been a great example of that. We started with no no business, not one single policy, not one client, one yeah. binder, Reese Mills and myself 12 years ago. And we had to go out and, and like shake that tree, you know, and, and we learned how to hustle and we learn how to do what we do and talk the talk and walk the walk and we're still here so uh, both as co-founders in the business we still work in the business every single day uh, because we still love it and we're still here to mentor and 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 train our staff to be the best version of themselves as we possibly can
0: the uh selling those red apples back in those in the Lloyd's (laughs) days paid itself in terms of uh yeah a few years later on it's um it's uh those early days are, I think, um, there'd maybe a kind of few, um, maybe aspiring kind of, um, maybe folks that are working in businesses today that uh, maybe want to start their own, maybe want to start their own underwriting agency. Yeah. Um, kind of, you've been there, done it. Um, is there anything um, you would, any lessons or anything not to do or to do that you've, you've learned and experienced over time that you'd, you'd love to pass on?
1: Yeah. Good question. Um, People ask me, would I do it again? I'm like, I'm I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) Bloody hard the first time. Uh, Things I've learned uh, along the way, I guess as I mature as well, I'm learning that working on my emotional intelligence is actually more valuable and important than actually working on my smart, smart, if you know what I mean. Like Mm. being um, kind and empathetic and compassionate I think is what I've learned and that behaviour is learnt behaviour and it's much harder to do that than always just trying to be the smartest person in the room all the time. But that comes with maturity and that comes with life experience as well. So one of the things that I, I like to say is along the way, think about your emotional intelligence as well. Think about how you make people feel in a room, in a meeting, and with any sort of transaction that you have with a broker. Uh, you, we've heard the story that a lot of people don't always remember what you say, but they'll always remember how you made them feel, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things if I, as I've matured into my role, I like to really I'm learning how to tap into that emotional intelligence side uh, of my um, day-to-day more so than do I am I always right kind of Mm -hmm. idea uh, which is good. Um, my other recommendation, I think, is is find your tribe, right? Whether it's personal or professional, find a group of people. You can't be all things to all people. And if I go back to the four burners, it, it sort of fits in nicely with that. You will just crash and burn if you try and be all things to all people. Find that group of people that just stimulate you, that help you, that challenge you and fill you so that you can uh, be the best version of yourself. And And I've been very lucky both in my my professional career and my personal life where I have my tribe, I look after them, I nurture those relationships. Um, I lean in, I get my hands dirty, and 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 regardless of now where people work or where they are in their life, they're still part of that. Uh, very important, I think, find the people that you that you can that resonate with you and have the same values with you and just nurture those relationships. Um, and service is always key, right? I use the analogy in the in the health and fitness area where they say the 80-20 rule where you can't outdo a good diet and where you want to be healthy, that it's 80% what you eat and put in your body and 20% exercise. I believe that you know 80% of it should be good communication and good service, both internal stakeholders and external stakeholders. Uh, again, you could be you could be the most technically correct person every time, but if your service and your communication style is poor or it's non-existent, they just won't come back. It just hasn't been a good experience. Think about the experience that you give to another person when you're transacting with them as well. And use that 80-20 rule in my head. Good service will always oversee even potentially, you know, bad news to a client or a broker. There's many times in our life where we've got to say, no, I can't write that risk. But, you know, the way that we deliver that and how we help brokers potentially, um, you know, place that risk elsewhere even is part of our value add here. So good service always uh, out does um whether you are the most technical person in the room as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think um yeah, absolutely bang on. I I yeah it's uh I think um generally business gets done with people that you you're friends with. It's just reality. It just uh, and uh, uh and have a relationship with and the better kind of service you can provide and the better relationship you can build. Uh, I think uh the thing you mentioned earlier on which is uh, price becomes a little more lesser less relevant at that point i think is yeah. uh, is important yeah um and i think it, it's really you've got to, you know, the, the advice you've just given uh, about continuing to learn and and and, uh, and building on yourself i think uh i know i believe that you're still working on an MBA at the moment yeah. Is that right <laughs> yes. yeah like kind of your speaking you're doing yes. what you're talking about. So uh you want to touch on that? I'd love to kind of what what drove you to to do the take on the MBA and, yeah. and what's in and how are you finding it?
1: Uh I have a love hate relationship <laughs> with it. <laughs> uh it has been probably one of the most challenging things that I've done. Mm. And yet I, I just thrive and, and love it when I'm in it. Um, I really do value higher education. I did my undergraduate degree part-time. Um, when I was younger, um, I couldn't afford to go to university full-time. So I um, worked during the day and, uh, went and did my degree, night school, for six years of my life. And bizarrely, I made some strong connections and friendships there that are uh, people that I still uh yeah see and deal with today that are great mentors throughout my life and we were just kids together just trying to make it through life Mm. and I always wanted to do my MBA it's about timing life is all about timing and just finding the right opportunity I had been in what I called the solution bubble for such a long time it was all about building the business writing premium Employing people, building our brand, and I felt I um, I just wanted to look up. I wanted yes. to see what other industries were doing, what other people that were in my position were doing. I I felt like I needed a new talk and a new walk and a new another perspective other than just this beautiful bubble that we had created for ourselves. And it's that whole thing that I always like to check in with myself. You know, am I kidding myself? Right? I think I'm on the right track. Mm. And clearly, our growth of solution and how we've developed the business demonstrates that we're obviously on the right track but I needed to know that we were and I needed to learn other things outside of what I was doing day to day so I did a bit of research and yeah do I started started in lockdown which sounded like a great idea because you know nothing else to do yeah. I have to say doing an MBA and everything outside with a life outside of lockdowns has been quite challenging time-wise um, I picked a place where I thought that I could get a lot of real life experience and exposure as well. So, for example, the last unit that I did was um, a human resources and the facilitator for that subject is actually someone who is academic and was running um, the the. Program, but was also a consultant in in the private sector with to do with human resources. So the real life examples, I think that storytelling, that hearing how other people are running businesses, has been incredibly beneficial. But then academic writing, and the whole course component and handing things in and getting feedback uh, at a whole other level has been very challenging but that's where the growth happens right Mm -hmm. it's learning to be sort of comfortable in in when you're uncomfortable and it certainly has challenged me uh, in the last couple of years so I'm nearly finished Um, I'm sort of at that home run thing now I just want it done Um, but I I feel now I'm kind of mourning it I'm like what am I going to sort of do next because I really have enjoyed uh, every element to it um, uh, yeah, love hate, but at the moment we're, we're loving it.
0: Good <laughs> on the home straight, that's great to hear. And um, yeah, it's, um, I think coming back to studying later in life, uh, is something I've thought about and I've always been nervous about. And I think what you just mentioned there around kind of sitting down and writing uh, a, a paper and a those kind of things, I, I feel like I've lost those skills, yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, I'm sure that was a um. Yeah, hard and hard to kind of lean back into.
1: But it's learning new skills, it's researching mm. in a different way, it's about validating everything that we're saying. It's about some of the stuff I already knew, but I didn't know that I knew it and, and I didn't know it was called mm. that, or mm. or I was able to take a concept or a theory that I thought I knew to another level because so much research has been done since since I did my undergraduate degree. So um, I do recommend it. I think you have to be ready for it. No one's kidding when it's when they say that it's a lot of work and there's a lot of, um, there is an element of anxiety around it, but I've, 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 promised myself that I wouldn't let it, um, uh, you know, get in the way of anything else. It's here to complement my life and to enhance it. And, um, yeah, it certainly has done that.
0: Absolutely love it. Well, you've used a huge amount of your time, and I've been so grateful, but I've got one more question for you. And I would love to know, um, what do you think are the kind of most promising areas of innovation innovation that you're seeing generally across the insurance market? Is there one thing that, that you're seeing, you're thinking that area um, of the growth of our industry is, is really interesting and you're going to keep a, a close eye on it?
1: Um yeah, I guess the technology is really where it's sort of going to grow. I think just change in demographics. You know, you even think about the gig economy now, and and what I was saying earlier. Do we understand it enough to be able to ensure it and protect people, and understand how they how new people people are working? I think just demographics in general are going to change. You think about now we have so many, uh, you know, five generations uh, when we have them here at Solution of different people contributing to the market with different values and and ways of working. I think that's the area that's going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. I do think that um, a lot of companies are, are challenged at the moment to, you know, attract and retain good staff um, for, a, for a period of time. So they're the things that I look for that, you know, without our people that are our biggest asset here, I couldn't run, um, we couldn't run the way the business that we do. So looking at people and talent is, is where I'm honed in at the moment because that's what's going to see us grow to the levels that we need to in the next sort of five to ten years.
0: Absolutely love it. Well, look, thank you, Anita. It's been the most wonderful conversation. It's been so great uh, hearing a little bit about your story, kind of how you're seeing the world, and you have seen the world of a broker um, and kind of yeah, how you carved out yourself to be uh, on the hot list. I saw that actually yeah. when I was doing a bit of research <laughs> on the hot list, no doubt, in terms of the hot list in business. So wonderful. Well done for that. Congratulations. But thank you. Thank you for the time. It's been, it's been really great. And I really look forward to watching the, uh, the journey of Solution and yourself over, over the coming years. Thank you. Pleasure. Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I had a wonderful time. I really enjoyed Anita's uh, conversation. The discussion there was engaging. It was thoughtful. And hopefully there was a a bunch of things that that all of us can take away and kind of um, take into our our kind of work lives and try and implement and try and make uh, our lives a little bit better and more enriched from that conversation. So thank you so much to Anita. Uh, If you want to kind of watch the video there is a, a version on our YouTube channel. There'll be a, a link in the description below. If you'd like to hear kind of more from industry leaders who are kind of really pushing the boundaries in insurance, please do kind of log into the next podcast. Uh, we will be um, rolling through a, a bunch of unbelievable guests over over the coming weeks who will have kind of their own, own independent views on on the industry, how it's going, and 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 what's coming what's coming up uh, up, up coming up next. And so please do follow us for more content. LinkedIn, Twitter, everything's there for you. Thanks very much. I'm really looking forward to having your company on episode number four.